Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. Birmingham-born and Berlin-based DJ Rebecca is established as one of the leading exponents of techno. Besides creating industrial techno and being one of the most high-in-demand DJ bookings, she launched a campaign against sexual harassment and assault in the music industry in 2020. She runs the account and webpage MeToo Music that are fighting for change in an industry that has been cloaked in sexual abuse. In our conversation, we speak about who she was when growing up and how that time has shaped her, how it's been carrying the movement Me Too music on her shoulders and the ripple effect that it has caused. I am Amanda and this is Playful Podcast. But you had you had someone try to broke into you. Yeah, basically it was a couple of nights ago. Like I haven't really spoke to anyone about it. Like we were in bed and then we just could hear something and my, boy- my boyfriend could hear it. And then we went out and then the cat was like going at the door. And then we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And then we could hear something like trying to get in. And then my boyfriend just banged the door because we were literally like the door's there. The person must have been there. We're there. Bangs the door. Then you could just hear the person running off. So the next morning when when John went out, he like the seal from the door had gone off. So basically, if you don't lock certain doors in Berlin, if you don't lock them, you can use a credit card. To, to, I mean, I've actually broken into my ha- own home with a credit card. Um, takes some time, but yeah, they must know to take the seal off the door, scoop it in, and then they're, they're in if you don't double lock the door. You are like 
traveling all around like <laughs> i guess i see your tour schedule like 15 destinations a month no no, no 10 not that crazy um i think the most i ever do is about 12 and that happens maybe once or twice a year okay um i, I range from at the minute from about seven till about 10 that's like 10 is a lot like you know it's a lot when you do 12 gigs a month like you it's just like all you're thinking about is the next gig and because you're playing so many gigs you're just constantly looking for new music because you need to keep yourself you know like it just all like kind of becomes about the gigs um when you do that amount so um I think after corona it's just nice to sort of be settling and settled in a little bit slower and then ramp up a little bit see how things are going yeah and then you have like no time to produce your own music yeah it takes um it's a, I mean, making music is always, you have like months where you're really into it, then you have months where you're not. Like it, it's it, the creative process for me is that way. Um, but yeah, you have to be really disciplined. Like you have to come off tour and then on a Monday, you've just got to go to the studio with all this energy. And it's like, it has to be really well disciplined. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you can have like less and less time to do yeah. stuff. And speaking of, <laughs> you just released your EP, No Escape. Yeah. Um, and that's the first time in two years. So that means that you have been creative with this over the pandemic, I guess. Um, no, I made a lot of music in the pandemic. And then I just didn't finish this. I did two challenges. So I did like, I took some producers through like 10 um, day challenges and it, with that process, I made a lot of music. We, we, we'd make it a track every day. Um, but then I never really finished anything. And then I just got, um, I did a couple of remixes and bits and pieces, but I didn't get an EP together. And then when we came back to DJing, I just felt really lost. Like I didn't have a clear direction. So yeah, before the pandemic, I knew like the, the direction I thought the music scene was going in was like more breakbeats. Um, which it has done in the UK. Like the UK is like all this bass music and, uh, you know, like over mono and all this sort of like UK breakbeat style um, is really popular. But then I thought that would have more of an influence on the techno scene. And it kind of has. We have like, you know, around like still a lot of like electro and bass music. But I think the, for me, the clubs that I play, seem to they just still want hard straight techno but you we were speaking a little bit now before and you said that you're influenced sometimes by visual things like you can be like how is that if you go to if you watch a portrait like how does this sound or it can be anything like yeah i i like for me the creative process is more exciting than the technical process so I can explain different ways to be creative and like thinking outside of the box to bring back into the music um but if you wanted to ask me about compression limiting you know all the mastering stuff I'll be like uh like I know what works for me and I know how to do it in the studio what what with the tools that I have but to explain it is a little bit more difficult so what I like to share as a producer is like the creative aspects so I think it was I, I think it was many many years ago when I started out producing I found, um, I must've been online and there was a piece of music that, no, that was it. There was a painting created by the gladiator music, you know, the film gladiator, you know, how like, you know, 
epic that piece of music was that they they would run throughout the film and then someone had like painted something so I was like well how would that work in reverse so I really like to you know use artwork and um different things I think I, like for the challenge that I set with the other producers we used uh like a Pablo Picasso painting um so it's like finding something interesting to look at and like then it's like what does that sound like you know what how does the image what does it make you feel and then and then what do the colors represent within music you know is red distortion or you know the shades of gray or like you know in a, in a painting what does that mean and how does that translate and I think it's it's kind of like asking yourself questions and then being able to write music to that um mm. So in the process of doing the challenge, we got some really amazing pieces of music, really unique and like getting producers to produce something completely different as well. You know, be open to anything really. Yeah. Awesome. Do you feel that is that something you are unique with, you think? Or like when speaking to your colleagues, do you feel that you have a different approach with the visual coming almost, I don't know if it's coming first, but maybe in some ways... I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's one tool in a toolbox so mm. you can have many others. Um, I would, yeah. I, I mean, if you look at titles of EPs and titles of tracks, you can sometimes see that there is a concept there, you know, there might be like, you know, with Jeff Mills about space and aliens and things like that. So he would be, be really conceptualized with his music. So I think it's just ways for producers on the whole, just to like get out of the box Uh, some people use more political influences, what they're reading in the news mm. to then create music. So I think it's not not one way is better than the other. Um, it's just having a tool kit that can help you move through a block. Because I think a lot of producers can fall into a trap of just making the same track over and over and over again. Mm. So it's like, how do you broaden that to bring in different styles or push yourself to a different limit? Yeah. 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 So what kind of energy did you come with like to the studio with to create this EP? um so it started out I think I wanted to create the club energy so I was having fun DJing and I kind of wanted to, cap to capture that energy to do some club tracks um I was also watching Euphoria and I felt like a, like you know a, an over 40 year old woman shouldn't be watching Euphoria I felt in some ways it was a bit weird um <laughs> But I started watching that and there's um there's a really good I think it's in one of the specials and um Ali um who is the sponsor of the main character, the lead character, um, he's her like uh, narcotics anonymous sponsor and he delivers this amazing speech. He's an amazing actor anyway, and he delivers this speech. So I just cooked, like literally took the speech. And then I've just like, you know, just made some grooves and bits and pieces with the, with the voices and just went from there, really. And then just try to create something a bit like in your face. And yeah, it's not it's not like I don't think it's my best work, but um, I kind of needed to feel like I needed to finish some stuff and put it out there and see what happens. No. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a part for you to move on to where you want to head. Is or is it a new direction you feel in some way? No, it was a little bit of like tapping into like the industrial sounds that I like, the energy with all the kicks and but then making it a little bit faster so the tempo is faster 
and then adding something a little bit fun like some of the vocal like uh edits are a little bit fun um and try and add in I like adding that element as well so it's not so dark anymore um and then I had my first go at making a hardcore track <laughs> I don't know like I don't think I kind of nailed it but um like it's it was um nice to do it and to see like you know how do you do the arrangement on a hardcore track compared to like a techno track you know the breakdowns are, are much longer for hardcore um the soundscapes are a little bit different and that kind of like this wall of sound is is bigger as well um so yeah I challenged myself there I don't think I got it quite right but you know it's the first of its kind so we'll see how that progresses in the future yeah <laughs> if we go back in time a little bit like who were you as a teenager um I was, I mean, I was definitely a bit of a loner. Um, I, I had like my early teens, I was like obsessed with Take That. So I was like a teeny bopper, um, you know, super obsessive um, around Robbie Williams. Like I was madly in love with him <laughs> um, to the point I've done some really crazy shit. Like I, like I would bunk off school with some of my, my other crazy friends and we would like, we knew that that take that would be at home so we would go to his house and like proper stalk him um <laughs> maybe karma the person who tries to break into you to make yeah. you crush on you well, yeah it's just hope he looks a bit like Robin Williams <laughs> <realize. Yeah. laughs> um and but then shortly after that then I found Varna and Blur and then I was really into like yeah like um grunge of course So the 90s fashion thing that's happened like in recent years, like uh, that's what we did when I was a teenager. So it's quite nice to see all that coming back um, and then see how it's sort of like manifested with fashion as well. Um, and yeah, I just think I was, I, and then at some point through the grunge into like um, Britpop, um, I don't know, I was quite depressed, I would say. I didn't like, I don't know. It was a, it was just a tough time growing up. Like my parents got divorced. So it was, uh, you know, it was all of that stuff happening at the same time. And then, you know, trying to become an adult supposedly. Um, and then drugs happen, partying happened. So I think all of that impacted on me and I was actually really like really upset inside. Um, so yeah, I'm not like not that happy when I was younger. To be mm. honest. Yeah. Would you say you're a emotionally like sensitive person? Like, are you fragile for? Um, I don't know. To me, this is a weird question because I feel that everyone is sensitive and every everything is like, especially as a teenager, a lot of things hurt are very hurtful. But in some people say that some people have a harder time to distance oneself from things than others do. Do you feel that? things got to you deeper i say they got to like my core mm. um and i buried it and then from burying all of this pain and this hurt that i was feeling it ended up coming out in my relationship it played out in my relationships um i had like severe abandonment issues like i couldn't be left if i had a boyfriend and he just would want to go out and I don't know, go and see his friends or go home to see his family, I would like act like a child, like I'd stomp around, but everything's fine, fine, passive aggressive, fine, fine, fine. And then the minute 
he would leave, I would have a breakdown. And then if I drank or, you know, took drugs, it would be like, you know, the level of that would be even higher. And then, you know, then I had anger in me as well. So I was just not a particularly nice person to be around. And I didn't know what to do with all of this pain and this anger and hurt, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, I, I took it out on myself. I took a lot of drugs, you know, and then finding partying and, and music, like I fell in love with the music scene and I love like, you know, I found dance music was like a savior, but then on the flip of that, it also, you know, it, it was okay to take as many drugs as I needed, you know? Um, so it's like a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how did you like deal with it? Um, I don't think I did. I didn't deal with it until I was coming up to like, like I wanted to stop taking drugs from about the age of 26. Like it's on my mind, like I wasn't happy. Um, and I think as I came closer to my thirties, for some reason, like 30 was like such a, you know, such a, a, an age where I should know better now, I should stop. And obviously it's like, when I look back now, 30 is actually really young. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just put this sort of self-imposed sort of barrier on like that needs to stop now. And then I literally um, stopped for a little bit, had some counseling and um, started getting more awareness about myself and why I was feeling this way. And I think it was just at a point where um, I was that far gone with taking drugs and partying and I was so depressed and like almost suicidal um, that when I walked through the door of the first, like first uh, therapist, I was like, if I have to change, like there's no way around it. I can't go, can't move forward unless something happens, like, unless I change something. And, um, and then it went from there really. And it took a little while back and forth, partying again, not partying. Um, and then eventually something just clicked and I just wanted it. Like I wanted it for myself. I wanted something better. I didn't want to be that person on a Sunday morning, like after party, you know, peeping outside, wondering what the world's about and then, you know, closing the curtain again and taking more drugs. I didn't want to be that person anymore. Mm. I wanted to like live on life's terms. Did you have to change like friendships, like friend group? Yeah, everything. Everything. <laughs> so yeah. you did like a drastic change. Is yeah. that also when you moved? I moved to Berlin about two and a half years after being clean. Um, but prior to that, yeah, I left my boyfriend, I left at home, I left my cats, um, the friends that I thought I had, um, some of them didn't stick around, but the ones that did were like, you know, they're, they're like my best friends now. And it also made them be a bit more aware of like their drug taking as well. And everybody just sort of had a little bit of a like, you know what? It's not about that anymore. Like, what's it about? Let's find passion within the music. And it should just be about the music. Yeah. Um, and then I did a lot of work um, on myself with like, you know, what uh, I did 12 steps. So I worked around that. And I did a lot of NA meetings, a lot of friendships through Narcotics Anonymous. And then, and then eventually I felt really good and I changed and I didn't want to take drugs anymore and I didn't want to party and I didn't want to drink because I had too much to lose in the end. But how, yeah, so was there ever a time when when your work was then difficult, like working within the, the nightlife season? Yeah, I think it it's, 
it took me a while to like, I still had to build habits. So like if you, if you always take drugs while you're DJing, you've already built a habit of doing that. So it's an association. So for me, I needed to break the association. So it's like I, I needed to go and DJ and then not have to, oh, I need to have a quick line or something after my set or I need a shot to give me something, you know, just some confidence or something. So I had to learn how to do that sober. And then once you've done it a few times, then you replace that habit with a new one. And then that became a bit easier. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, like I would drink like five cans of Red Bull. I don't know how I'm still alive, to be honest. Like I like I was just, yeah, it was ridiculous. Five cans. I was just like, oh, we're guzzling these cans like like they were nothing. And um, the problem with that is that you crash. Like at some point you crash and then you hate everybody. You're like, oh, shut up. Everyone becomes really annoying or the drunk people become annoying. Um, but as time went on, I realized I didn't need that man many cans of Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I ended up um, like now I can drink half a can or like one can or even just have a coffee in the hotel before I play. And just routines that I do yeah. now. But if we look at your musical journey, like, did you ever play an instrument when you grew up or, or did you like get right into DJing? How did, how did, how did, how's your journey looks like? Um, I mean, I, I played the flutes. I got to like grade three on the flute. Um, I did music theory. I don't know whether any of that really helped in the end. I could say, you know, like I, I don't like, cause I still just play everything by ear, you know, but I understand like I can read music, but it's just like, it doesn't really help me doing what I'm doing kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and then I DJed and then it took me a long time to want to produce music. I never really had the feel to produce it. Like I'd go around, like go into studios when I was younger and you know, the, the studios were ridiculous. They were like, you know, a big mixing desk and instruments everywhere. It's quite intimidating. But then eventually everything became a little bit more accessible. I think like Native Instruments has made things really accessible and all these like digital music companies, you know, made it affordable for people um, and more accessible and a bit easier. Ableton is super easy to use now as well. So I think it it just moved along. And then with that, I felt like I was ready to make music. And if I didn't make music, I probably wasn't going to get out of my city playing. I was still going to be trapped in in one city um and the city that I was kind of in wasn't really supportive of the kind of music I liked so I had to think well how can I move like move my career on or move you know give myself a chance at getting some gigs in places that do like the music Mm. um so then I went in the studio um again with some friends and then I started having lessons and then at some point I just was like, after having a couple of lessons, I was like, I'm just going to go back to college and just learn this properly. Mm-hmm. And then I did two years at college, which was really nice, really amazing experience. And then after college, then I was just, I don't know, my, I had some like, it, the the headspace around making music can be really, uh, really hard. Like, because you're looking at labels and you're like, okay, I know, like from a, business point of view I need to get onto that label for this to happen and that and it was like way too many expectations and all of all of that does is just it just brings more frustration you'd like start comparing what you're doing and how it should sound and like you're just imposing these like 
horrible like limits to yourself so at some point I just was like fuck this um I'm just gonna make music I like I brought in a concept of like you know working with again with another creative idea and I stopped DJing I was like I don't care if we've got gigs anymore I'm not gonna hassle anybody for gigs I'm just gonna make music and see what happens how old were you then um like 31 and you lived in Berlin no, no, uh, I was still home. I was still in Birmingham at that point. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like, that's when things actually started happening. When I gave mm-hmm. less of a fuck about where I needed to be and where I should be placed and what gigs I should be doing and, you know, all of the, the should have and, you know, expectations just went. Um, then the scene kind of opened up a little bit more. And I think that's just been open to opportunity and open to, like, you know, like I'm going to do something which I have control over and then see what happens, what are the results. And that's really exciting. What was the reason you moved to Berlin? Was that because you want, you were find, looking for a place that could like, where you could pursue the musical career easier or what? The... Yeah, I, I, I'd never been to Berlin and you had never been here I never you moved. no I moved I mean oh, yeah. I came here one time and then six weeks later I moved it was crazy oh, wow. um and I it, I'd kind of been let me think actually no that's not quite true I came over to Berlin and I think I went to Berghain it was a CLR party I'd known Tommy for seven for for many years prior like I met him when he was 17 like we were both like babies and we both had a gig together I think in Scotland and um we were kind of both associated around the the same agency back in the day and he invited me over so I came over went to Berghain and then I just got really inspired like I I kind of got inspired by the space of the main room Mm. uh by the actual Berghain and then when I came home I was like well how would how would techno track sound in that in that dynamic so I kind of got influenced by that um and then I made a remix and then that remix then uh, was picked up by yeah Tommy played it and he supported it and it was picked up by Samuel District um and then Chris and a few other people and then from there um I got Chris asking me for music like he's like I'd like to do an EP um and it was just like oh my gosh how am I going to make an EP and uh, just like I was in literally in my garage like going deaf because there was no like air ventilation in his garage and I managed to make a couple of bangers that he liked and then then he when I came over the next time I think I had a gig I was with another agency and I had a gig um somewhere in not actually in Berlin but in another place in Germany and then they, the, his manager just asked if I'd like to join the agency. And if I did, would I move to Berlin? Basically, that was the opportunity that was given and presented to me. And obviously, I wanted to have an experience of playing with Tommy and playing as a collective. I thought it'd be really fun. Like, I'd been solo DJing for so many years. I would like to, you know, do some nights with people and, and have that experience. Um, but none of this was, like, planned or I didn't, expect any of this stuff it was just something that like after making the music and seeing where the music went all of these things happened and yeah it was it was just a really nice time yeah <laughs> wow and now you have lived in Berlin for how long 10 now? years 10 now. years oh wow yeah 
I guess the city has changed a lot for like they say. <laughs> yeah. I- I don't see it so much. Um, I see all the buildings going up and like we have a mall now, mm-hmm. um, which everyone like loves to hate. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, more places take card. In the beginning, like no one would take your card. Mm. You had to pay cash. It was like, oh, I'll go to the bank, take money out. <laughs> all DJ fees in cash, please. Because like, you know, that's the only thing, the only currency that matters in Berlin. And now it's really hard. You can't, you can't even buy a coffee without using your card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some places still they're very obsessed with cash, though. (laughs) But yeah, um, you have been like a strong voice for women in the community and started Me Too music over two years ago now. And you have been speaking about your own experience as a female in the scene. Where do you think you get the got the energy from to? to take on such heavy topic and bring it like up to for people to to uh, to make a change um i think for me it was like i i've had so many experiences in the past and then there was just a catalyst of basically when uh Aaron Murillo, like i learned about Aaron Murillo being called out for rape he had rape allegations and he was due in court it was all like, you know, pretty official. Um, and then it was like reading about this stuff. Then he passed away. And then finding out that the victim was another DJ that he played with, female DJ that he was playing with. And I, and then the eulogies from all the other DJs about him, you know, just he's a legend, he's a music genius, blah, blah, blah. And then you know, we've lost the we've lost the legend, and then glossing over the fact that he was like up for a rape allegation against a fellow DJ. Um, I just was I just lost my mind to it. I was I was like, what? Like, where are we? What's going on here? And it really, I suppose it was my trigger. It triggered me, um, and I just thought, if I'm feeling this way, like there must be so many more women out there that are feeling this way too. Like, really triggered by what's going on right now. And then I just put a me too status on my Instagram and then that obviously generated a lot of conversation around it and I just realized that I've been living in a bit of a bubble you know the last few years like no one really messes with me that much I don't get sexually harassed I don't like you know general sexism still occurs of course but I'm kind of like in a really nice position where that doesn't happen to me anymore even though I've, I've paid my dues it definitely has happened um but in my thinking, I was like, well, no, if, if I'm doing okay, then that means the scene's changed and everything's better. And then what happened was that all these women were telling me otherwise. They were telling me that they've had all the experiences. They've had the same experiences that I've had when I was their age. And I just felt like obligated to use my platform in this way to try and make some awareness around it and say that it's not okay. You know, like, and it, it's a really, wor- it's a worry when, you have like the business side of things pushing females and minorities through, but if they're not protected, then they're just going to be out there also being abused. And I just, I don't know, like uh, it felt like something that I had to do. And if I didn't do it, I would be a hypocrite, you know? Mm. And um, I was also mentoring young women, like I think three young women I was speaking to, like in the, in the lockdown over Zoom, talking to them about where they want to go, what labels they want to get onto. And, you know, helping them, you know, 
fulfill their beginnings as a, as a DJ. And I, again, it's like, what I'll be a hypocrite to say coming in, it's great, you know, and you can do all this, you can have a great career, but there's a 90% chance you're going to be sexually harassed at worst, sexually assaulted. So I don't know, like for me, that was really important to do. And I didn't see anybody else really speaking of it. There was definitely, we have, there is a group of people like Jaguar, BBC One, Radio Presents, she's been speaking, Louisa speaks out about this stuff. There is women speaking out about it. Uh, Electric Indigo has been talking about it from day one, you know, of her career. So there is women out there like talking about it and it's like a big network. Mm. And um, we have male allies as well. And I think I was then approached after making that post um, by somebody I knew via a friend, and she actually works in it's Pia Malakaf, and she works in uh, the the European Union, uh, European European Parliament, basically. Uh, and she does some stuff for the UN as well. And she's like, I've done one of these. Um, for the European Parliament, we've done a Me Too campaign. We got what we wanted. We got legislation made within a year, and um, she's outlaid what I needed to do, how it works. Um, so, because I had her as her like as a partner, I felt more comfortable to do it because mm. I didn't know where to start. And she already said, "This is how you change things." Because I didn't know, didn't know what the change would look like, and. Um, it's about, about changing culture. Like it's like a counterculture thing that you have to change. And she, I realize how resistant our industry is to that change. It's tough. Yeah. You know? I'm so curious about that. Like, have you, how have you noticed the after effects or the ripple effects from it since? Um, they, there's been a lot more, there's been a lot more women that, speak out like I think that are more aware of this stuff that it isn't right and that have reached out to us as an organization uh, to either share like anonymously their stories or to warn us about somebody or um think you know and then we've seen a lot more of that we see a lot more clubs and venues and promoters now wanting to make a difference for their more vulnerable like clientele so we see a lot more of that so there has been change and there's definitely progress i would like to see more um but it's it's hard like it's hard to balance you know balancing um this it almost needs to be an organization that does this full-time yeah and is on it full-time and um unfortunately you know all the people that that are involved in the campaign also have day jobs and and so forth but we get support. We got support from the Association for Electronic Music as well, and they offer support. There's a real good helpline there, 24 hour helpline. Um, you know, we can offer some free legal advice um, if you don't like for victims that don't know what to do next, whether they want to report to the police, whether they want to go public, or uh, however they want to get mediation going. Um, and we just want as many people to sort of sign up to a zero tolerance policy. Mm. Like that would be the first step, like, and then, you know, then work backwards from there. So if something does happen, then there is a zero tolerance policy. There's no gray area around what to do next because it's like it's not tolerated. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so we've got really good support. We have got like some like opposing 
thoughts as well you know like it's not all clear and um people still like to not believe victims there's still a lot like victim blaming happening um there's still that kind of like patriarchy of men that are protecting artists or um that don't want things to change you know or don't think they should because yeah, that's a strong force yeah mm-hmm. um but we just but we know that we just have to keep on. We have to keep going and we have to keep talking about it and keep changing the areas that we can. You know, if we can't change those people, there's lots more people to change their thinking or that are open to have like protocols in their clubs to make things safer. Mm. We've got like a, I think it was an idea from like Richie Horton and Sydney Blue when I've been discussing this stuff with and they they recommending having a rider like a DJ rider, um, which you can put into your contract, which would say that you know the the promoter has to promote it as a safer clubbing space oh. and has to have a protocol in place, has to have um, you know reporting systems, posters in the club. It doesn't take that much effort really to do those things, and those simple things actually is proven to ward off any predators because like they'll walk into the club they see a big poster saying you are watched basically zero tolerance policy and usually that's enough most of the time to let the predators just go and operate somewhere else or think mm-hmm. twice about what they're going to do so there's little things that we can all do that are quite easy yeah but i know in sweden for example um it's been a little bit of a trouble to put names out there before they have been convicted mm-hmm. uh, have you noticed any backlash like this like have people been coming after you and trying to uh, you know um, report you for this or? um like sometimes i think i've done like one story where i reposted somebody calling one of like my colleagues out I didn't make a comment whether it was good or bad. It was just like, what the fuck, basically. Um, and then I took it down because I had a lot of people come after me saying, look, you're, you know, you, you got to, you're like, you're in, a, in this position where you need to be a bit more respectful to find out more information. I kind of knew some more information, um, but that hadn't gone public yet. So we don't, we don't share names or anything like that uh, publicly. We speak to the victims and if the victims um, would like to go public, we support them in what they want to do. We see if they want to speak to the lawyers. Do they have a police report? We always recommend police reports. So things are in process as well. The thing with going like, you know, people don't like it, obviously, because there's a small percentage of women and others like minorities that could lie about it, like in I think rape allegations, it's like 96% of the time that their woman is telling, well, the victim is telling the truth. And so there's a little tiny fraction where there is lying happening. Um, and it, that's the exception, but not the rule. And it feels like now everything's, it's, it's the other way around. Mm. You know, the lying is the rule and then the telling the truth is the exception. But if we can flip that around and start believing the victims and, Usually what happens if they do go public, we would repost that story um, and then we get more people that may have had some incidents happen with that person as well. Like, for the, for instance, uh, 
yeah, we, we, it, it seems to happen a lot. So when one person goes, then all of this other information comes forward. Mm. So And then you can then build the case and then the police can be involved more and, and there's more to it, you know. And then we know that that person, obviously, that's doing this stuff needs serious help as well because mm. it becomes a pattern of behaviour. Um, people are, are worried that it's it's too much power to have and then cancelling people and like this whole cancel culture for me cancel culture is like a a term given to like predators to become victims in a way you know like once so the very small percentage of allegations that are false yes of course like cancel culture is a real threat and it's so damaging but the majority of people that get called out publicly are actually i don't know like we have to take it seriously um and I don't necessarily want people cancelled from the scene forever. I just would love them to go away and try and get some help, mm. you know, like, and then if they get the help, then maybe there's, there is space for them. You know, are they remorseful? Are they, you know, did they get the help? Is their behaviour now changed? Mm. And we've seen that. We have seen it and it works. And and I think it's, there is space, obviously, for somebody that has done 30 odd years of abuse and rapes and, and whatnot, I, like, and still not remorseful for it. I don't think there's a place for that person. But um, I think reformation has to be in the conversation as well. Yeah. But without taking away the, the feelings and, you know, what the victims have to go through. I can imagine or um, it makes you your own traumas like it brings up your own traumas and it's a lot to deal with your your own things and the whole scene because in the scene it's promoters it's colleagues it's it's people who have been assaulted who you don't know but you want to help i mean there's so much going on yeah it i have like i got a serious gaming addiction (laughs) and that was from basically everything being so heavy and I was doing it day in, like I don't, I haven't made music and released music in so long is because I've been trying to get this campaign up and running and, and make changes. And, and like, it, it was, it did get really heavy. And I just sat at the end of the day, like, just didn't need to think about anything other than like, I'm just going to go and shoot a load of things, aliens generally. Um, and that kind of helped me get through. And now, you know, like it, I just try and set some boundaries. Like you have to set, like I try to do all of the campaign working, maybe one day a week, you know, like not have zoom calls all the time across the week about the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, just like move away from it being a panic to like, okay, let's, let's just organize it a little bit better. Like, you know, and having those boundaries in place, obviously we, with the victim support, um, it can be 24-7, like, you know, we're open to that because they obviously need it and we want to reassure them that they're not alone and and so forth. So there's a little bit more care given there, but the other mm. stuff, not so much where we, we, we're just, like, open-ended with it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it, I, I've had times where I, I'm, you know, my emotions have got the better of me, you know, and I get angry and I get upset, I've, you know, like it's... You know, like, am I the right person? This question, am I the right person to do this if I'm triggered? And, and like, I have to check in with my emotions and my my motives as well. 
like always check in with these things um and also you know like i'm also thinking about the repercussions on the, the victim side and for the perpetrator side as well you know it's everything's like you know it's 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 not particularly nice yeah. Um, but like, I don't like that's the problem. Like, if you focus on the problem, then that will bring you down. But because we have solutions, we know that there's like tools out there for us all to use and strategies and how we can get better in in dealing with this stuff. Because I know that there is solutions. Like that keeps me going mm. and uh, really focus on the solutions rather than the problem. Yeah. And like, besides the physical assaults there's also a part of the a part part of the problem is is like females being controlled in other areas for example how they dress being connected with like you cannot you don't have a place in the scene if you are a female being a female in many sense or doing things that are connected to femalehood i would say like, for example, you were also modeling, like having a glamour model job on the side to sustain and to attain your dreams. And that's being seen as a weak thing or negative thing. And I know you said that you had you were changing the way you, you dress. Do you see a change when it comes to that part in the scene recently? Or is that still the same? I feel that... Well, what I've seen is, um, I think the the younger artists are just coming through, and they that it's their rules right now. Like they, they they've kind of grown up with feminism as well. Like this new wave of feminists, they've grown up with it, and they've grown up with social media, which you know is way more narcissistic than what we grew up with. But that's okay as well. So I feel like there's these two things coming together, where it's like they don't care about that stuff so much. Um, and then generally the only people that are actually moaning about it are actually the really old men <laughs> in the scene. So they've got a problem with it because that the rules that they fought or they had when they were starting out in their careers, that wasn't there. And that freedom, like the girls were either around, they were like the token girls. So they did look really pretty and they were like, you know, around that they never really took seriously or never thought of as a threat. Mm. Um, and now... It just seems that it is like, I think, I don't know, I think the young younger generation just owning it better. And I like that. It's, it's inspired me, you know, like I, I went from wearing all black T-shirts, trainers, um, to like opening up a little bit more to like colours and, you know, like fashion's fun, you know, it should be an expression. And we're living in this sort of fast-paced world where you actually, you know, in, in 40 odd years I'm going to probably be dead who cares right now you know so let's just have fun while we're here and I think the, the younger generation really appreciate that yeah you know um, it can be so double though like in some some in some way I, I feel that part of it is being cool on Instagram or like dressing right having a nice feed and being like in but on the other hand it's like seen as negative if you're doing it in a weird way it's changing though but also people are not able to get as many gigs i hear if they don't have social media presence and don't and aren't a public 
person in that on that stage yeah. so i think there's so many rules to like combat or you know yeah so i mean it's it's one that's discussed quite a lot with people that my friends and about you know it became less about the music and it's more about the social media and the instagram and what you're doing and you're showing that highlight you know of like the small clips and how you look and you know we can edit our pictures blah 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 um but we also let's not forget DJing is an entertainment business. It's not, you know, yes, you're you're a DJ, but we, it's all entertainment purposes. Producing is a different thing, like making music, and that's your art form, you know, which is to be respected. You know, is also you either doing it because you have something to say, or you're doing it because you want to make club bangers and make, you know, as part of your entertainment arsenal. So like. We can't just kind of like discount Instagram because it's a, it's like that's what people are generally moving around on a TikTok now, not even Instagram. Like the kids mm-hmm. are on TikTok. That's a whole different subject. Yeah. Um, and it should just be a tool. And it's like evolution. Like if everything stays the same, um, you know, like, you know, what we're all going to go back to going to record shops and digging for hours for music. Like I couldn't even tell you the producers are like and most of my records. I could tell you what the cover looks like, what the circle looks like, you know, but I couldn't tell you names and things like that. And now with Instagram, it's like you find out, you know, you can find the name, you can find the artist, you can find out what they're doing, you can find out so much more and, it, you know, and be entertained at the same time. I don't know. I love that. I think that's, yeah, I think that's super spot on, actually, because it is, yeah, it is, it's a very complex subject. But it's very true that it's, um, I don't know, it's hard to, to, to fit into all, but it's definitely being able to express yourself. I mean, that's probably part of the movement too, to, to be able to dress the way you want to dress and put it on social media and have a presence and create, create your own, like, I was going to say essence kind of. Like, you know, you can create your own brand very clearly in that sense. And if you then want to be like, have like, show off your cliff, people are going to, you're going to find your group of supporters and that's great. And then that's part of the change. Yeah, I agree. And like how it should be, there's like, you know, one of the biggest female DJs, you know, was persecuted for being sexy then you listen to her music and she's sexy with her music. She's sexy as a producer. She's sexy the way that she flows and speaks. And it's, it's her, you know, it's her aura. Maybe it's an act, who knows, but that's what she created. And like DJ fuck off. Like, I know you're a massive fan of her and like, it's the same, like, you know, like what she raps about is kind of very tongue in cheek and it's sexy and it's like, but it's also, I give no fucks and it's attitude. And, and I think, you know, like that's what she's representing, and and I, I like it. It it's all good. It's nothing, nothing negative. Yeah. Like and like, you know. If, and then you have like Lady Gaga. It's just the same thing. Like every few years, she just reinvents herself and she creates free concepts and themes, and you know has her. I I don't know. Like it's just an expression, and and it's fun. It's an art form at the end of the day. It's how. You know, if DJs want to express themselves that way, so be it. Like I'm, I'm kind of done with this whole DJ should just have their head down and be doing this, and and that's okay as well if that's what you want to do. But it's like the kids want some interaction, you know. They want to see that they're they're the favorite DJs, and they want to 
see them looking up and enjoying it as much as they are. And it creates it a hurt. stronger platform for the person if they are like personal to actually change the scene also. Like if people, if then people feel that they are looking up to you and get connected to you stronger. And then you have a perfect opportunity to just like speak out on topics of racism, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you lose a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. Like if you speak oh. about these things, like that's the other misconception. It's like, you're just doing it for the PR and the, the you know, the, the fame. And it's like talking about anything political is, is a risk. And that's why a lot of artists just don't do it. Because you lose, you lose so many people, you lose your fans because they just wanted the music. It's, it's getting a balance right. It's like if you're going to be political and speak about things and topics that is affecting the industry, it's, yeah, you have to keep it really balanced. What? How has this affected you, would you say? Or how, did you lose gigs? And Possibly. I, I, I think maybe a few. Um definitely lost fans like that are just like they don't want to hear it you know mm. and, and like I think from being a bit more open about this stuff you know like I may have lost some of my older fans but then there's you know like it's just also transitioning through music styles as well like sub dramas also confuses people so like but what people have to understand is like you're just it's just evolution you as an artist is, is evolving you as a person is evolving that is able to talk about these topics and what's important um and yeah but I think a lot of that's one of the main reasons why you don't see your favorite artists speaking out or favorite DJs speaking out about certain topics because they feel not equipped you know like I didn't like the Ukraine war was you know was a was a tough one because we didn't feel equipped to talk about it and I still don't I still don't know the the nuances between everything you know I know that it's fucking wrong like going in invading a country and killing innocent people of course that's a given but then you make something public like public statement you're going to get these two opposing sides just coming at you and it can be really aggressive online you know like and it's like what well, DJ wants that you know wants that as their experience it's hard you know and I've, I've quit Facebook for that reason had like some guy was writing me in capital letters <laughs> essays like this and it was like nip, 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 capital letters and already it's aggressive and you know made the mistake of reading it and I just sat there and I just turned everything off and I'm like oh, like anxiety levels coming up um and I just was like who am I speaking to on Facebook like what's there's no there's no room for them to be open-minded about anything. It just seems like they, they're all my age group and we've all made our minds up. This is how it should be. Um, and there's no change. So I, I, for me, I just thought I'm done. I'm done with Facebook. So. <laughs> <Rest> <laughs> it's over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't miss Facebook so much. I think it's fine. Like, but um, now you're also working on a film when the music stops. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about... Yeah, it, it, after sort of in the lockdown, I was reading studies and, and trying to educate myself a little bit more on these issues, um, you know, like really getting into it. And um, like there was this whole study about like how you can like bystanding, you know, because that's one of the main problems. We hear rumours, we know things go on, we see some things might not be quite right, but we don't know how to act and intervene. Um, and then it was like, well, how can I, 
oh, well, how can I educate people on this topic? Or how can we, as a, as a campaign, educate people to become better bystanders? And especially when it's across like 28, 30 countries around the world, like all different languages. Um, so I came up with an idea of creating a short film um, to basically show what a regular night out in a club looks like and then follow some of the stories that we've got, like, you know, more common stories of sexual harassment and assault in that place, in that environment, and then showing that, showing that people see things that don't act, and then showing the consequences, because people don't know what the consequences are. It's like, you just, people just disappear, you don't know why, they're not clubbing anymore. Um, And we wanted to show, like, PTSD, um, you know, not reaching out to anybody, like, withdrawing from the scene, um, and then like, we also want to show what happens when you do intervene, like, what does a night look like when we're all looking out for each other as a community, as the community that we always speak about and want to be part of. And part of being in a community means that we are responsible for each and every one of us. Club's responsible for, for, you know, what goes on in the club. Um, but it's so, it's so, you know, dark clubs, it's always going to be really overwhelming and um it was just a really easier way to show people that so big project yeah <laughs> it sounds like, easy <laughs> whoa, it sounds like such heavy work yeah how when is it going to be released or like so we're going to production we, we've been getting funding for the last year so i did a fundraiser and um, we got public money we got public donations we did a big compilation um, we've got money from different companies like Pioneer, Beatport, also just pledged um, 10,000 euros for their uh, gender disparity uh, campaign that they did. Um, and so now we've got all the money. Um, I had a production company meeting last week. So we've got production dates and then we're now discussing release dates and yeah, how we're going to get it out there. And the idea because of the, you know, 30 odd countries, across the dance industry that are involved having like a club scene where there is very little um speaking because a lot of this stuff just isn't speaking you've got music playing you know so it kind of made sense that actually it's not going to be about what language is the film going to be in you just it's it's going to be more than that so i'm hoping that that the film will then translate across the world and we can all share it through the platforms and get it out there and and hopefully if it gives people more confidence to intervene and you know then that's kind of yeah good that's awesome <laughs> I hope it works <laughs> thank you so much okay we have now come to the extra material okay if you're a patreon you get to listen to the insights from rebecca where she talks about her own experiences of what made her successful share some tips to fellow djs and producers as well as what she would tell her 20 year old self if she could go back in time go to patreon.com slash playful magazine it's either this or it's that this is this or that so I will say two uh, words, and you'll say which one you prefer. Okay. Or both, or none. But okay. <laughs> preferably it's one. Uh, introvert or extrovert? Uh, introvert. Train or plane? <laughs> Temperament. I love that. <laughs> Can 
<laughs> yeah, there is a third alternative. <laughs> coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah, you talked about caffeine before also. Big fan. <laughs> Early mornings or late nights? Early mornings. Uh, music festivals or intimate cellar gigs? Uh, cellar gigs, of course. <laughs> Reading or writing? Reading. Smoky kneipe or rooftop bar? I'd say rooftop bars, but I'm not <laughs> any of those fans. I'm not like no? either, either. Yeah. What What would you be your third alternative? Nightclubs. I'm a club. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> fair enough. Indoor or outdoor? Uh, indoor. Indoor. All right. I I I don't know why, but you said. Um, camper van and then before you also mentioned that you are inspired sometimes by nature oh, yeah I suppose the con yeah I think clubs indoor mm. which we already kind of answered that anyway so yeah <laughs> indoors of course like outdoors yeah like on a yeah are you a nature girl I never used to be I didn't think but I in recent years yes yeah, yeah. do you go on like hikes yes <laughs> oh, that's is that how you turned up collect energy around this? Yeah, it was more about again another like like the gaming. It was a place where if you're on top of the mountain, everything below what's going on in the cities doesn't mean anything. You know, like it's that distance, like looking at an ocean and be like, nothing really matters because this is such a huge expanse of something. Yeah, yeah, it's good for your mental health. Hiking, it for is. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> last one. Xbox or Nintendo? Nintendo. Nintendo! <laughs> this was it for Playful Podcast this week, but please follow, subscribe and listen to our next episode. And if you want to have a say about future artists or even ask your own question to one of our guests, follow us on Instagram and make sure to add your question when we lift our coming guests. Thank you so much for joining and see you next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.